Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. In this episode, I'm joined by Gary O'Reilly, a fascinating former pro in England who now is a host of the podcast Playing With Science. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Just a quick disclaimer, the first few minutes of audio have some occasional issues but stick with us they go away very quickly onward joining me now is gary o'reilly he played for 14 seasons as a pro in england with four clubs including tottenham brighton and crystal palace and he scored a goal in the 1990 fa cup final for palace he is the only defender ever to score in the semi-final and final of the same year's fa cup these days, he's a host of the terrific podcast, Playing With Science, which you should definitely check out. And he's also in New York City a lot these days. You can find him on Twitter at My3LeftFeet, spelled out. Gary, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Great to have you in studio here. And first off, I really like your podcast. And Thank you. It, it's, it's called Playing With Science. Yeah. It goes pretty far afield. Mm -hmm. um, could you explain to listeners... What it's about. You give me sport and I will give you the science. It's as simple as that. I don't bring the science. I have some really smart people and I do not include myself in that sentence that have the knowledge to extricate the science, be it the physics, the biology, the chemistry, the neurology, even to the point where I will drill down into data analytics I will find an astrophysicist, and this show hasn't broken yet, so you're going to love this one. Dr. Meredith Wills is an astrophysicist. She's also a super sleuth and found the reason why there were more home runs hit during 2015 and 2017 is because the laces that were used to stitch the balls together are 9% thicker. There's a whole load of physics in there, which I'm not going to spoil, but when someone is that smart and dissects, dissects the science and does the investigation i'm in i sit there every show basically and every show's a school day <laughs> every, i i get taught stuff i didn't even know and as you said in your introduction 14 years as a professional player i have seen a thing or two um but they take me to school and sit me down and they teach me things it's incredible i love how much variety there is in what you do on this podcast and certainly it's not all 
not all soccer. It's not all sports. Uh, like, is this? How did this happen? How did? Uh, I don't run into too how many. How far back do you want to go? I, I I don't want. I don't run into too many players or ex-players who do what you're doing. Um, yeah, I've always sort of been accused of marching to a different beat. Um, and this just interests me. I'd always be looking at what next for football. Mm-hmm. What, where does it go next? Uh, how do we assess talent? How do we see the game evolving in leagues? How do we see the game evolving as the game? Is it still going to be as beautiful as it once was? Is it going to be a different? Is it going to be a Picasso? Is it going to be a Renoir? How do we look at this? Um, I was working for the BBC, yes, and I was up in the northeast Premier League game, Sunderland versus Crystal Palace. It just happened to be Crystal Palace, and uh, I have to take a train from the very south coast of England to the very northeast of England. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about five and a half hours or so of me sitting down looking out of a window mm-hmm. I get on the train come back there is someone sat opposite me they work for NASA and the conversation starts to go between us that person ends up being the executive producer the the creator and originator of the multiple Emmy nominated Star Talk mm-hmm. on National Geographic this show hasn't been birthed yet so there is someone there who's obviously thinking about radio and broadcasting and is taking this forward, becomes a radio show, becomes an outstanding podcast, and then is taken on to television. They then wanted to expand the Star Talk brand and into areas where they felt there was a definite room to to grow and sport was an obvious. Mm-hmm. There are other things waiting to be explored, but sport was something that they thought front and center. So I'd always sort of kept the contact with the producer and they came to me and said, would you be interested in developing this with us? And hmm. I said, okay. And we went from there. So it, it, I think we, we hit some low hanging fruit. We started off with a, a Super Bowl show mm-hmm. that it was early January, made sense. We did Odell Beckham Jr.'s catch. Mm-hmm. But rather than just go, well, Gary, you're not alone. Everybody's done that. Not everybody got the guy who helped develop the glove that mm. he wears to catch and the science therein and the science that they ignored. Mm-hmm. Like a gecko's foot has hundreds and millions of microscopic hairs on it that create a suction. That's why it can climb up walls and on ceilings. Mm-hmm. They thought about that as technology, but it came in at too expensive. So they kind of just moved that to one side and went with something else. And so we get into those sort of areas. Then we'll go and explore curling. Mm -hmm. Because why not? (laughs) Why not explore curling? Then go to, where do you get next-gen stats in NFL? Well, there's two microchips, one in each shoulder pad, and it's telemetrics. Mm -hmm. And it's not just telemetrics. They run X amount of yards at X amount of speed. That means the acceleration was X plus whatever. They give you bio data feedback. Hmm. So we went into that area. Um, Got the guys at Bauer Hockey Equipment. They developed a collar to help with head injuries. You get into the stick and the manufacture of the stick and why and how. We have a a physics professor in Canada who's actually a goldminder. Nice. So we find people. We have uh, a fabulous guy, Professor Eric Goff, down in Lynchburg, Virginia. 
he is across all sorts of sport from soccer to football to everything and he's a black belt in karate and krav maga so we did fight like a physicist with him and and, and you're laughing because I, I my co-host is a stand-up comedian chuck yeah. nice so we have fun because i think you must have fun but in the same way you bring that with you you bring that science you open it up you don't make it exclusive you make it as inclusive as possible so idiots like me can actually understand what's going on and sometimes i sit there and smile because i don't understand at all <laughs> it goes over my head but i go away and think about it and i think that's what people can find interesting and attractive about playing with science were you this curious during your playing career and about the world and how did your teammates respond to that if you were <sighs> they just looked at me weird <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and in the end you you stop involving them in your thought process because you know that there's a custard pie on the end of whatever sentence you're about to utter so you don't utter it you stay out of it and then you go off and you think and you you know you just look at i, I looked at the world in a different way and um yeah it works sometimes you being a team player it's okay if to be maverick if you're neymar jr <laughs> If but if you're not <laughs> if you're not you better toe the party line <laughs> because in the end and i and i come to understand this at some point in my career i won't put a mark on the timeline that it's the team that wins not the individual and the sooner you get to that understanding and hopefully you have that before you enter <laughs> professional sport this is how it works to the betterment of the team and therefore the betterment of you. You keep doing what the coach says, the coach is more likely to play you. And the objective is to be played by the coach. So that's, you know, you, you see things in a, in a different way. You, you, your mind gets opened up in respect of professional sport is this and it has to be this. And there's no room for you bringing what you think, your different take on the world. So you compartmentalize that, you put it to one side and you do what is necessary. So you kind of come in with some fresh ideas and thoughts and they just go, mm -mm. Mm -mm -mm. <laughs> what did we say? Mm -mm. And okay, fine. And then you, you take it forwards and then you can have some room that's when you get to a certain point to have self-expression. Okay. Do you think football today, including in England, mm. is a little more open to new ideas than maybe when you were playing? 100%. It seems like it. 100%. Um, in what way? Okay, tactically, everything's been done before. Um, you're going to revisit history. And because it's been so far back, it's going to seem new, shiny, and bright. Okay, fine. Um, inverting the Pyramid, Jonathan Wilson, any listener who is a soccer fan, please go and read that book if you want to understand what I've just said and have it explained to you in such wonderful detail. And you're nodding because you know the book. And it's... Uh, Sports it's Illustrated writer Jonathan Wilson. That's the fella. <laughs> Nothing like a bit of in-house <laughs> plugging there. So um, I, I looked at that and I thought, hmm. Then you find people like Cruyff come through. 
And that then brings, and then you have Guardiola takes Cruyff's thinking and opens that up. Then you find the people in the UK, this little tiny island of, you know, this very English thing of, no, 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 we invented the game, therefore it's, we can do it better than anybody else. No, we haven't won a World Cup forever, but that's not the point, right? So all of a sudden you find managers, oh, that might be useful for us. Bring that in, let's talk about that. And you found that people were all of a sudden thinking about strength and conditioning in a different way. Rather than building the perfect beast with all of the muscles, it was more plyometrics, it was more Pilates yoga, it was more about flexibility, more about live athleticism with the addition of muscle, but not too much. And then you think about the the data analytics, the use of technology, mm-hmm. the use of video analysis, the phalanx of data analysts that the large Premier League clubs, Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A clubs have, and why they have them, and the information that's brought to players, that is a giant step forward compared to the days that I had, we would get game tape, I would ask for game tape and sit down and look at things and watch things. If I could get game tape of someone I was playing against, which was a bit harder if we were playing in Europe and mm-hmm. I was at Tottenham, but still you would, I could go and ask and see if we could bring stuff back or I'd get tape of, of other things. And it wasn't readily available. So all of that has come forward and the coaches understand, the players understand. Um, the management of the game, both from coaches and from the officials, is changing. And so, yeah, there is an openness to embracing new ideas. VAR, the video assistant referee, that has to come in. It has to be perfected. It's at 98.8% accuracy, which isn't that bad. But someone's always going to scream and kick because it's not 100% accurate. So as is, we just have to look at our own selves and say, do we find 98.8% acceptable or not? And this is a question for me and, and also too about England, which I'm hoping you, some, you can explain to me a bit, is England to me seems to be maybe the most resistant country to VAR because we don't currently see it in the Premier League. They decided not to use it this season. And there's a difference, obviously, between how VAR is designed to be used and how it's actually used in practice. And so I, I get that. But if it, like, the way I look at it was in the World Cup last year, for example, I think VAR was an upgrade over what was before. It wasn't 100% perfect. Is, is there something about England that they, a lot of people there think it needs to be 100% perfect? Um, yes. We would all like 100% perfect. <laughs> right. And we must all attempt to achieve perfection and knowing in whatever it is we do that we can't achieve it. But we must stride for it. Uh, I think you'll be surprised to hear where I go with this. Okay. <laughs> Money. Really? Yeah. How Why? much? How much is it worth to a Premier League team before the season kicks off? It's what is it? Ninety million pounds? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, over a hundred million dollars, US dollars. So there's an awful lot at stake, 
and then you add to that all of the other bonuses this is important get that get that one critical decision wrong mm. oh my god where are you going to go with this does it end up in litigation there's you know you've not you've not just upset the boardroom of one club you've got a whole army of fans you, you, everything can go so i think what they've done is been uh, i say typically british but well let's see how this goes in the other leagues mm. before we dive in and then find ourselves experiencing problems that the other leagues have experienced because there's been resistance in bundesliga not everybody's happy in serie a there is VAR in the FA Cup this season, but only if the games are played in a Premier League venue. But it's crazy to me that it's That's not bonkers. the same every for every game. That's bonkers. I agree with you. <laughs> um, that, 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 again, is quintessential British attitude. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think, and I, I mean, a cynical view, it does look as if everybody's concerned about we need to get this as right as possible. Going back to the World Cup in Russia, if you left it to the referees themselves... I think it's 93% accuracy, mm -hmm. which is excellent. But VIR's taking it that 5% further forward. Everybody wants more, as I said. So I think there will be VAR. I, I'd say, I think, I believe it's already been published that there will be VAR for the coming season. So that's 19, 2020. Mm -hmm. So that, that will hopefully. My only concern is now, when referees refereed the game, they managed the game. They owned the game. Mm -hmm. Their responsibility was to keep this 22 schoolboys running around, being difficult, and screaming and shouting and kicking each other and pulling their hair when no one was looking. All that stuff, right? Manage them. Think about, yes, they understood the, prof the professional side of it. They understood the responsibilities, and they managed the individual. They managed the game. Now, the potential and I call it potential rather than say this is what will happen. The potential is there that the referees will kind of stand back and allow a decision to be made on their behalf in a remote location, which then kind of flies in the face of what FIFA said for many, many years. We will not introduce technology because we want the authority to be in the hands of the referee. Mm. Well, that doesn't <laughs> seem to happen anymore, does it? So it's, it's that situation. It's that point where mm, I want the referee to have responsibility I want the referee to have authority and that authority be respected have I ever sworn at a referee before in a game yes <laughs> so I am not I am not polishing my halo as we speak no I have been the sinner um, that's that's why I think and I think that maybe they have a the right approach mm. to think about it and be slightly cautious see how it goes in the World Cup do all the research, do all the, the work that's needed, correlate the data, and we're back to science again, and then take it forward and hopefully improve on 98.8% if they possibly can. I do want to ask a question. In the introduction, I mentioned you are the only defender ever to score a goal in the FA Cup semifinal and final of the same year's tournament. You didn't score a lot of goals in your career. No. What were the circumstances of this? Um... Okay, so I would, this was for Crystal Palace in 1990, um, and we, we were not pound for pound at that point going to compete with Manchester United, with Liverpool, with Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, etc. Uh, however, we were very well organised. We, 
not so much the Westminster dog show as a bunch of mongrels, right? <laughs> Let loose. And we, we were tenacious, interpret that as you wish. Uh, we were determined. Some of us had points to prove, but we worked out that from set plays, we could be devastating. I used to be quiet, the person on the near post to flick on Ian Wright, Mark Bright. Ian Wright, I'm sure listeners will be more than familiar with, even if it's through Bradley and uh, the Sean. podcast guest. Yes. Uh, wonderful guy. Yep, absolutely. So it came to me that we had one set play in the semi-final, ball drops in the six-yard box, and on occasion I can be lethal from that distance. Uh, on other occasions, <laughs> I might hit the corner flag. Uh, just depends on the day. On this particular day, I hit the back of the net. Well done, me. Uh, in the final, it's another set play from a cross, from a free kick on a wide position. So there's all good intents and purposes. It's a cross. I get up above. Jim Layton, the then Manchester United goalkeeper, gets caught between goal and, and myself in what we sort of no man's land refer to. And just loops in. Steve Bruce tries his best to clear it off the line. Paul Lintz always, when I meet him, says, are you still claiming that as a goal? I said, of course I am. <laughs> Phone Brucey up and ask him if he wants an own goal on his record. <laughs> Good, I'll take it then. So that's how we do. That's how we work this. So that's that's how it goes. We, we knew we could get an advantage. I mean, that first, the game I score in in the final goes to extra time. There are two strikers both score two goals each hmm. in this game one of them starts the whole game Mark Hughes hmm. the other comes on as a substitute and scores twice and that's Ian Wright hmm. um, so yeah it was it's a very memorable you know six goal FA Cup final is one that will stick in the memory yeah so yeah most definitely defence is on top I believe the uh, <laughs> the the, the, sum, the summary would have been <laughs> How many of these guys that you played with are you still in, in touch with? Um, from time to time, because I'm now based here, obviously not as much. Um, although if I get involved with Sirius XM, which I do, because quite often I host either Grumpy Pundits or mm -hmm. the football show or co-host, then we have players on and I talk to, you know, I get to sort of reignite. I see the Tottenham guys from time to time. If I go back to the UK, I will be at either Crystal Palace or Brighton. So I can bump into, you know, when I was at Brighton, back end of 2018, Alan Mullery, the former manager, Gary Stevens, a teammate of mine at Tottenham, mm -hmm. um, and a former Brighton player. So bump into him. We have a chit chat and sort of move on. Mm -hmm. uh, Crystal Palace, quite a bit, because um, if I go back, they ask me if I would host a lounge. Mm -hmm. So um, Mark Bright, mm -hmm. half of the infamous Wright and Bright duo. Mm -hmm. See Jeff Thomas from time to time, who's now become uh, a fabulous ambassador for charity. Mm -hmm. uh, having survived uh, bone marrow transplant wow. for leukemia and does all of that through cycling. Huh. So, uh, you know, credit to him. Absolutely yeah. fabulous. Now, there aren't too many ex-players who go on to become... There's a lot of guys that go into media, but they become pundits, not necessarily hosts. Now, yeah. you can do the punditry, but Gary Lineker is about the only other guy I can think of who has become a host. Back in the UK, yeah. Um, it's not as obvious. 
to go into the role of host as it is to just sit there and talk about things you're very comfortable in. To be a host, as well you know, takes a lot more. It's seeing it from a different point of view, a different angle. To be able to view it from that angle, okay. But then to know the guest or guests and know where your story has to go, but know where their story has to go. Right. Is there something in their story that hasn't quite been looked at and bring that forward? Um, and, and thinking. And not everybody is adaptable. Mm-hmm. Not everybody wants to take that responsibility. Um, you know, why Why do more training than you need to? Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm being I, unfair. Some I, of the guy. I mean, I, I find, you know, former teammates and guys who I played with, we were very few of them are formally educated. So you will not find uh, everyone in the locker room college educated. Right. You will most likely find nobody in the locker yeah. room has any college education. There's quite a few have no education beyond, formal education beyond the age of 16. This does not mean there's no intelligence in the room. To be an elite football player in, if we call it the English Premier League, the most competitive league in the world, takes intelligence. You can't just be someone who can run up and down and kick a ball hard. (laughs) That won't work. Did you, personally, what did you do? Did you have a chance? Um, I, I stayed at, at school until I was 18. Oh, okay. Uh, and that was very rare. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I did have a scholarship offered to me here at Columbia in New York hmm. way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, and a duke came huh. as well. And my hand is held up. I did not know who they were. Really? Really. That's, that's purely my ignorance. I do know now. <laughs> in case someone is listening <laughs> to that and say, who is this idiot? I... <laughs> I'm more than aware now, and I sort of think, wow, what an opportunity that could have been. Mm. But back then, soccer in the U.S. at a collegiate level was in its infancy. Right. It was there. There was established parameters, but it was still in its infancy. Mm. And I was going to go to Loughborough University to follow a degree. And then I ended up being at Tottenham pre-season training to get fit to go to university and by September, they just turned around to me as, as an 18-year-old and said, you want to sign a two-year professional contract? Oh, okay, this is going to up mis- upset my father. Hmm. Mm. And then the rest is history. <laughs> um, and I, what was, what's interesting is that, I mean, I'm, I'm on the bench for Tottenham as a substitute, as a teenager, and make my debut for Tottenham in the first team as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Now, the then manager Keith Birkenshaw will tell you as far as I was concerned back then that was probably a year too late (laughs) (laughs) I know um probably issues with my 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 shyness (laughs) so I was among the group of players that came through Mark Falco made his debut at 16 Hmm. Gary Brook uh a month or so before me and we were all, all three of us the same age group mm-hmm. so we're, you know if you're looking at being at a club you should be in the conversation by the time you're 19 20 mm-hmm. in the first team you should be more than capable of holding your own with your ability level and, and knowledge of how to play so I was as you, as you probably are aware now quite a confident teenager <laughs> 
without being stupid arrogant mm. I, I was confident in my abilities and I would I would have private conversations with the head coach to tell him so <laughs> so going back to your process of becoming a host and doing media mm. how did that work for you once you were done playing um, I fell into it really quickly I ended up on a, a cable TV show a weekly show all sport mm. uh, it was in South London so we had access to Crystal Palace which was easy for me uh, but then Wimbledon the former Wimbledon mm -hmm. the crazy gang Wimbledon uh, and then we had Surrey County Cricket Club which is a professional elite cricket club mm -hmm. um, so we had high-end professional sport and then I would be introducing the um, the world record former former world record hold world champion arm wrestler <laughs> I know <laughs> And, and nice. it, it would be what, and I would go away. I'd have to research guests. I'd have to bring guests in, book them, interview them, wash up afterwards, Hoover, vacuum, and go home. Um, but it was a little bit like that. But that was a great place to learn, yeah. to think, understand, to to see how people reacted to questions, see how things work. So you got a chance, and then Sky Sports came along, um, and. I began to sit there as a as a as a pundit, but they were aware that I was hosting a cable TV show. So they brought me in, screen tested me. I was then I was then slated to do a four hour live show on a Sunday morning. So it was a post game, pre game, and then in the evening I was hosting NFL. Okay, so a busy day. Yeah, seriously, a busy day. But on the way to that, I worked for the BBC again. My first ever game on radio as a reporter not as a game analyst but as a reporter and it was a, a test drive for the producer um one of my former teammates is in the studio garth crooks and he's with another host and there's a whole group of us out at different games of london-based clubs mm -hmm. i'm at fulham versus lincoln city okay at this moment fulham are in division two league two mm -hmm. so way down there uh it's craven cottage basically it's the last game on the list to go to i'm sat there post game it's kind of november it's dark it's chilly it's damp perfect london weather they come to me okay so and it's been a stunning nil nil draw and as dull as ditch water i get about a third of the way down my notes and i'm reading and i'm very happy with myself and all the lights go out <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what i do i laugh I'm live on air and I'm laughing. And Garth Crooks said, what are you laughing at? Be professional. I said, I'd love to be, but the lights have gone out and I can't see a thing. <laughs> what would you like me to talk about now? <laughs> and so it was, it was that kind of, you know what, if I can cope with that and, and move forward, I'll, I'm pretty comfortable that there won't be too many things I can't cope with. And that's, that's, that's how it worked out. I mean, I was doing... NFL came to Europe and they had a, a European league, which was an interesting adventure for a couple of seasons. And I would be sat there in the studio. I'd be handling a live satellite feed from one country, uh, Germany, and I'd be handling the exact same time, the live satellite feed out of Spain. Mm -hmm. I'd be in the studio. I had guests. I'd, I had people like, oh, it was quarterback for the Buccaneers when they won Super Bowl, Brad Johnson. Mm. He was one of my first studio guests. Nice. So, you know, you, you have all of this sort of thing going on and thinking, all right, this is good. Yeah. Yeah. 
This nice. is how it, this is how it should work, and you, you don't get arrogant. You just go, okay, this is how this works. Yeah. All right. Cool. What led you to you coming to the United States? Um, I'd worked with Premier League Productions, mm-hmm. which is more or less responsible for what you would see on NBC right now. Mm-hmm. Not to take away what Rebecca Lowe does and the Robbies do. That's their in-house pre-game show, and it's I'm really it's a very impressive show. What Premier League Productions did out of the UK was get commentary teams to all of the games, and uh, they would. We di- I did that with them for years, and then they decided to build their own content channel. Mm-hmm. So I would host live global phone-in shows. Okay, you could Skype in, phone in, email. Just don't throw a brick through the window <laughs> with a piece of paper on it. Whatever it was that, you, whatever way you wanted to approach the show, you could. And we mm-hmm. we we were in South Africa, Australia. Nice. Singapore, everywhere. And so I did that for a, a number of years. And then this opportunity to go to India mm-hmm. came up with the Indian Super League. And it was the inaugural season. So I thought, wouldn't that be great? Mm-hmm. Ground floor, the potential for, for football to take off in India is immense. And not until I get there do I realize just how much potential there is. Mm. I mean, I, if it went if it went down to Southwest India and Kerala, we're in a big stadium. It's it's a cricket field, and it's got a crown on it, and the wickets in the middle. But they've they've made a soccer field out of it, and it's mm. pretty decent. They made a good job of it. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't realise was the first game is forty seven thousand fans. Huh? Yeah. Wow. By the third game they have in this venue, this place is rocking huh. to the sound of sixty plus thousand fans, and they have brought drums they are obliterating the sound on our broadcast wow. and they love it they absolutely love it and you go to the very northeast of india and there'll be 35,000 fans you can come into mumbai you'll go to a stadium that's full with 25,000 fans yeah the wow. appetite in goa i mean they need a bigger stadium huh. and they would fill it it's just there the appetite for football is there and the Indian Super League was a wonderful adventure, and I'm glad I took it uh, in a fabulous country, and um, that's why. And so that kind of, mm, what's over here? Mm-hmm. So the opportunity, so this sort of thing with playing with science mm-hmm. was, yeah. So the thought process was was again. Um, this would be interesting to explore. It's not purely soccer in fact it's rarely soccer but it allows me to expand my mind it allows me to expand what i do and yeah i like the idea i like the concept i'm attracted towards this project so that's 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 what brought me here you know the, mm-hmm. this attitude of what's it like here this would be an interesting place to explore this is a really interesting project even more attractive you know when you add them all together so that was the that was the basic drive for that what have you observed about soccer in the united states so far it's big it's a lot bigger than people in the uk in europe understand it is not going to compete with nfl or nba but i don't believe it has to uh, it's big enough to stand on its own. And that is in the men's game 
and the women's game. Mm. Uh, if you look down into the second tier and you have now at the moment USL, that's a very fervent environment um, and players that aren't involved in MLS directly have an opportunity to play professional, organised football at a good level. And those players that are sat in a farm system in MLS that wouldn't be able to get through because there are a queue of players are able to sharpen, work at, develop, understand more. And so this is this is progress from how far back? 15, 10, 5 years ago. So yeah, it's uh, it's there. I'm um, um I look at it, I look at the sophistication that's come with it because American sport shares. So if there's a thought process uh, on technology in NFL or NBA or NHL, that sharing happens mm -hmm. back down into MLS and vice versa. If, I mean, I don't think the GPS sort of trackers that they, they sort of put on the vest and sits between the shoulder blades right. of players, soccer players, don't know that that was used a lot here. It was in Europe for, and is, particularly for training. And, you know, I want to get to the boring stuff, but that's the sort of thing we would cover on Playing With Science. Uh, that's moved into mainstream major league sport here in the U.S. So there's a, there's a cross-fertilization right. of thinking and ideas. And, and that's, I mean, major coach. Co okay, European coaches, big NFL fans. Hmm. Soccer coaches. Like who? Sir Alex. Yeah. I believe so. Uh, Harry Redknapp. Okay. I've seen you on that NFL show. It's good. I imagine him saying this from a car window. But maybe, no, no, maybe no, no, no. Harry's fabulous. Alan Pardew's a big NFL fan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I had a wonderful interview once with, uh, with Harry Redknapp about his days in Seattle and yeah. uh, playing there, but also becoming part of the sports culture there. And, and that mm. included the Sonics, who then existed in Seattle and were winning NBA titles. And I, I remember being asked by, by Redknapp, uh, what happened to Freddie Brown, downtown Freddie Brown? And, and, and I, I had no idea I would ever be asked that question by Harry Redknapp, my aside. I know, we're a surprising bunch, aren't we? <laughs> so... Guardiola is a big basketball fan. Yeah. But Guardiola absorbs all sorts of other sports. But if you look at FC Barcelona, the whole Barcelona sporting club, Barcelona, right. there's a major European basketball team. Yeah. So he goes in there and he sees football played in a microcosm. And he looks at it and he sees how to distort, overload, break down, open up a defense. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, and he thinks... I can use that. That's what I'm looking at. This, what am I seeing? And Cruyff would steer him to things like that. And Cruyff was a mathematician, you know, surprisingly enough. And it's, yeah, this, this cross-fertilization, this seeing other things and bringing bits and pieces out of it and test driving it in your own sport. So the, the coaches love NFL because of the tactics, because of the organization. And if you look at the game of football right now, the set play within free play is prevalent. Yeah. Something that you would never, ever say 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Now it's prevalent.
Now, this is the evolution of the game, the changing, the open-mindedness we touched on previously. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was up at, uh, in Boston at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference last week. Yeah. Um, and it's always fascinating to see what's being talked about uh, on all the panels for different sports, too. But in soccer terms, uh, Ted Knudsen, the American who runs StatsBomb, an analytics company over in the UK, was speaking about... He really thinks set pieces are an area that are going to be studied even more and teams are going to devote even more and more time to trying to get as many goals as possible per season out of that. Do you know how far back the analytics of set plays goes? Tell me. Something like the 66 World Cup. I know that's because England won. Gary, please calm down. (laughs) I think the stat was something over 60% of goals scored in that World Cup were from set plays, set plays, set mm-hmm. pieces. It's always been an understanding. We were talent poor or undeveloped. Crystal Palace in 1989, 1990, 1991 weren't a team of mature, hardened, experienced elite players. There were a lot of young players, players coming through like John Solarco, Richard Shaw, Gareth Southgate was yet to emerge. Ian Wright was still a precocious young player, even though in his mid-twenties, he hadn't had a lot of experience coming through a system. He came into uh, professional football at the age of 24. Alan Pardew came in at the age of 27. Ah. Yeah. So you're looking at that and saying, well, how do we level this particular playing field? set plays mm-hmm. it's cost effective I know I sound like the uh, middle level management of some <laughs> company um, I, we can work on this we need somebody whose delivery is good consistently ah oh, Phil Barber left winger you'll do and he had that consistency of delivery uh, do we have any but one teammate love I, I love this exp- roof inspectors <laughs> Yeah, i.e. tall guys, right? (laughs) I know, football wit, huh? And so can we do that? And then can we create, can we achieve certain things in the way we do stuff? Can we cause a diversion? Set play within free play, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, and we worked hard. We thought about how we would spend hours working attack versus defense. Back four, a goalkeeper, and then you'd overload it, seven versus four, or six versus four. You might add a, f- a midfield player in just to give you a bit of a breather, and you'd work and work and work and work and work and work and work. Yeah. And so you would drill and organize, and it, it's things like that. And now this is a no-brainer for any coach at, at any level. Now. And anyone who views it as a stigma to be scoring on set pieces should get out of town for one thing. Um, but also, it's not just teams that are underdogs that can make the most of set pieces it's very good teams as well it's not like a zero-sum game where if you're good at scoring on set pieces Mm. you're not good at scoring out of the run of play no we're too posh to score set plays we have to create by a thousand (laughs) passes and it must be a precise laser-guided pass to the right big toe of our strike no it's a goal you if you score if your goal is a set play and you win every game one nil by the way you're champions (laughs) It seemed almost like the England going to the semifinals of the World Cup last summer and scoring so many goals off of set pieces 
there was almost an embarrassment from some people I talked to about... Where did the manager come from? <laughs> Any ideas? <laughs> Any thoughts when Gareth Southgate first played his football and when? Yes. <laughs> and I used to drive him to training. <laughs> no, I did. That's amazing. That's yeah. great. I used to drive Gareth Southgate to training as a 16-year-old. And ironically enough, when I was a teenager, I grew up in the same town as Glenn Hoddle, huh. who used to drive a mile the wrong way, pick me up and drive me to training. The connection between Gareth and Glenn is they are, have one is now and one is a past England yeah. manager. Yeah. And so, and two fabulous guys and uh, Glenn, the player, of, the best player of his generation in the UK. But that's a long story for another podcast. <laughs> We're wrapping up this one. I, I could sit here for four or five hours with you, as you know. Um, would you be interested in, I mean, you're a busy guy, but like, would you be interested in doing television commentary of soccer here in the US? 100%. Um, I, I would like e this. I, I would like that. Uh, I've explored it. It's not been open as of yet. Uh, but that was something MLS I've had discussions with a number of people and we're seeing if there's an opening at any point hopefully there will be I have done some TV commentary for USL mm -hmm. which and for National Women's Soccer League which I've thoroughly enjoyed um, a bit like scoring a set play I don't see it beneath me these are professional soccer players that deserve respect and that's what I would hopefully bring to every single broadcast uh, I would love to. I, I think playing with science is ideal to take to television. So if uh, anybody out there is listening, please contact Grant. He will, <laughs> <laughs> he will come to me on the phone and, and ask for a certain percentage <laughs> as my agent. Um, so, yeah, I, playing with science would be a fabulous adventure for television. Um, I, and I, I'd like to. Um, at the moment, I'm in the process of going through a green card. If and when I can establish that, I'd like to get involved in a professional environment. Uh, maybe on the development on a technical side yeah. to bring experience. I mean, I've I've spent years on player identification and recruitment for people like Nike and Adidas. Um, I have an awful lot of playing experience which I can sit and think about or I can use and exchange with younger players who aren't yet there um, but would benefit. That would be... That would be me giving back. That would be something that I would feel good about because I got given knowledge as a young player. And how, uh, how much of that knowledge is available here, there's plenty of knowledge. It's how much is coming back. I would imagine the pros that have come back from Europe are very open and would give to those younger players. So by all means, I mean, I'd like to join that, that band of players. Yeah. Well, one of the great things I think about American soccer these days is we're open to anyone who wants to come and be a part of it. And oh, so, for sure. um, you're very welcome here and I hope you, you stick around and continue to be involved. I do. I mean, I said I'd love to be involved more in the football landscape. I have uh, a presence within Sirius XMFC um, and that's thoroughly enjoyable. I'd like to take that into television. If so uh, if that opportunity is there, I would uh, I would embrace that. And as I say, to to have an involvement in an, a professional organisation at some point in the near future, that that would be good because it would mean that uh, whatever I've got, I can hand back and 
can be utilized and brought forward. And the other thing is, if I get involved in a professional organization, I will be learning. It's not about Gary's telling you how to do this. It's no, it's, it's way the opposite way round. There's an awful lot for me to learn. And I'm happy to sit down and be taught about, you know, there's a, there's a lot of sophisticated thinking. There's a lot of good practice here. And uh, yeah, wouldn't be a bad thing to, to have a part of that. Gary O'Reilly is a host of the podcast Playing With Science. You can find him on Twitter at My Three Left Feet. Gary, thanks for joining me. Pleasure's been mine. Thank you, Grant. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Gary O'Reilly as well as producer Brandon Nix and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. See you next time.